Hello, and welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we chat with some of our pals and industry friends. But before we get started, be sure to check out our new fun little logline competition in honor of March Madness. We're doing Logline Madness, and there's a post on the scriptdescribed.com website with all the details up now on how to enter. But first, today, we're back on with the supervising producer of NBC's hilarious comedy, Undateable, which returns Tuesday, March 17th, right after The Voice. Uh, Mr. Craig Doyle, how are you, Craig? Hey, Kevin, what's up, buddy? How are you, man? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Thanks for coming back on. It's always a blast talking to you. I love, I mean, I love coming on. I love uh, anyone that will listen to me. I, uh, you know, <laughs> well, now you got... you or my wife and ch- uh, children asking, you know, that, that they're like, will you please stop talking about uh, <laughs> act breaks with us? And, and it may and, not be uh, quite as I satisfying won't. because you can't see the people listening to the podcast, but know that, you know, thousands of people are listening to you, so... That's uh, great. I love yeah. that. Thank God. That's great. I love that. Um, so you guys come after The Voice, which is... I, yes. It's pretty wild, that's, man. We're that's actually, huge, right? You know, it's huge. Yeah, I think that one of the things that um, that that changed, you know, uh, from this year to... From the last year's season to this year is, is actually the attention that we're getting. I mean, our first season was... We did, uh, you know, we did, uh, we did 13 episodes and we, they double pumped us and we aired us back to back in the summer and there was no real promotion other couple ads. And I talked to anybody, I talked about this on some of the other, uh, um, times we talked and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and we did really well and it was like, oh my God, we debuted as the best, you know, one of the best summer comedies in 10 years as far as, you know, critically we got great strokes and then also just the numbers were great so and we held our number and everything else like that so we came back now and i think as nbc has retooled their uh you know their comedy um uh approach uh you know all networks are like trying to figure out how the hell to kind of manage that you know the 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 changing landscape Mm -hmm. uh they gave us 10 and it was like oh okay well uh well you know all right great cool they're they're giving us another show of faith but we're still kind of like Hey, you had a good rookie season. They brought you up at the end and you hit a bunch of home runs. Let's see, you know, we're not giving you the big contract yet, but we're going to give you the, a good spot to be able to promote, uh, to premiere. And then, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, we actually had a really good couple of taping. Some of NBC's comedies, uh, didn't, didn't work the way they wanted them to, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they gave us the post voice slot here in, in March. So, um, yeah, so Tuesday night we debut after the voice and we'll have a lead in, uh, I think our lead in before was like Hollywood game night, which was a, you know, pretty low profile, you know, good summer show, but like a profile, low profile thing. Right. As opposed to the voice, which beyond, you know, Sunday night football is their flagship ratings buster. So sure. there's a good chance that, you know, we're going to get a lot more eyeballs this time. Whereas people looked for us last year because of the popularity of the comics and kind of a grassroots efforts of, uh, um, the producers and stuff like that. Now it's actually, okay, cool. Now here's the thing where we're putting you on, you know, you get radio ads and, and, and TV ads and all that other stuff. So it'll be an interesting kind of thing to being like, hey, no one was looking for you to the point of now now we're watching you. Can you perform the same level, if not better, with, um, you know, with, with the machine, so to speak, behind it? So it's going to be crazy, man. We're, we're, we're excited. I think we grew as, you know, creatively the show got better. We knew, uh, you know, the actors got better. All that, you know, that they, they, we found their voices. We got more specific. I think the stories are more interesting, um, and um, you know, the growth of the show continued. So we're excited for everyone to see it and see if this is something that people love as much as we do making it. So yeah, uh, it's pretty wild, man. Well, I had seen the show. But you also invited uh, my wife and I to a taping, which was a blast. Yeah, 
And that's something that uh, I'd never seen before, how you shoot a, a multicam show. It's like yeah. chaos. Normally, it, it seems like on, on film shoots, it's everyone rushes to get a shot and you shoot it. And then it's like everyone re regroups. Whereas on on your show, it seemed to be there was it was like a party going on in between takes in between yeah. setups there's there's uh yeah. there's an mc up in the audience telling jokes yeah. and doing contests and music and a dj and uh oh yeah you know some of the actors come out and do stand-up like chris D'Elia was who's hysterical uh did a right. routine i mean it's it's so much going on in between setups and takes i don't know how you guys can concentrate uh, the actors yeah, and the writers like... and the crew. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like Mardi Gras going yeah, on in it's... the background while you're trying to set up for the next shot. It, yeah, it could be pretty wild. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like if we were doing a single camera show, like the Lawrence's other shows, like Scrubs or Cougar Town or, right. you know, you'd have time between setups to do that. You wouldn't have an audience. But like in an audience show, uh, one of the things that kind of in the design of it, which, you know, not up to me, is Bill and Adam Stekiel, who, you know, created the show was the idea of trying to, like, if you go to the last actor at the comedy store and you see Chris Lee or Brett Moran or Rick Glassman or Ross Lunches live, yeah. who are stand-ups on the show, mm -hmm. it's an experience because they're so different. Their voices are so different and oh, yeah. they're so funny. They're just hilarious. And they work off the crowd and, like, Chris's crowd work's, like, unbelievable. And they're just really funny. Kind of, they feed off of that energy. They're very improvisational, uh, uh, improvisationally kind of uh, gifted that way. And, um, you know, we even, even Crystalia has a, uh, his, a Netflix stand-up special that's coming out in April. And we went, you know, we all went and saw him tape it, uh, at the, was it the Wiltern? And, you know, the, the, I guess the sets between the first set and the second set that they taped together, it's like he even improvised within that and went crazy. So it's like, even when he's doing his special and scripted stuff that, you know, his material, he's still going rogue. And, and it's like, all of them do that. So, so the thing is, is like, you know, you have to keep that, that audience there. Whereas, you know, some people use, uh, you know, all the, all shows, all multi-cameras use an audience warm up and a DJ and they have, you know, they try to entertain the crowd, keep that going to get the laughs for that live energy. Mm -hmm. Um, some of them, some of them use the audience so the actors can have them. Uh, we're incredibly reliant on the audience, whereas maybe other shows are kind of like they're, they, uh, they're less that. So they might have more, formally trained actors or, you know, people that are like, they know where the laps are. They know where that is. They've done multi-camera a million times. They know that kind of stuff. And there's our guys who are used to being in that stand-up environment. They feed off that energy. So mm. it's a conscious decision for Bill and Adam to make sure that we try to make it that party atmosphere. So that fed into the, into the performance. And um, so we had kind of a unique experience because they're all stand-ups and they're willing to, like some stand-ups, you know, they get to a certain level, they're not going to sit there and want to entertain the people and, you know, they're going to want to learn their lines and sure. just concentrate or be too cool for school. These guys are like, Hey Ron, you want to talk to him? Yeah, go. And he just goes up and does the 20 minutes in between setups and costume changes and, and then comes back. So it's a really unique kind of a environment within the multi-camera environment. But, uh, um, but as a writer, you know, you're, it gives you time, but it's also kind of at that point you've done, uh, all the prep, you, mm. you know, you've written a million versions of the script. You have a bunch of different lateral jokes and lateral areas for jokes and things. And, uh, you know, Bill's such an old school guy and a pro guy. It's like, you know, that you have him kind of, uh, cutting the thing in his head and knowing how it's going to play. So when we get to show night, it's kind of re not relaxation time. It's more like, it's more like, uh, 
are, we've already done our game plans. This is how we're going to do it. Let's keep going. You know, right. so, so it's less, you know, if a joke doesn't work, we all kind of run back, circle up and try to see if we can beat it or come up with a new area, um, find a replacement for it. But, uh, um, the most or get to comics say, hey, this is the area we're in. We we are kind of we're stumped. What do you think? And and they go, oh, why don't I say this? All right, cool. Let's go there. So right. it's very collaborative that way, and it's it's very unique. So, um, but yeah, it's wild. It's it's very. It took a while to get used to that, right. and once you kind of used to it, you're like, God, I wish they all were like this. Because, uh, but you don't have the horses. You know, that's the thing. These guys are so good. You had people that were more uh, less experienced in that, or that wasn't their thing. They were funny, but they're more you know more. Uh, scripted, or they, you know, that kind of stuff is their wheelhouse. Then you wouldn't necessarily be able to get them to improvise and be cuckoo uh, <laughs> like we do. So, pretty, uh, yeah. But it's fun. It's a fun experience. It's just say, like, gotta come to the live show. So it, it seems um, like it's almost that's what I always tell people almost this weird combination. Like it's in between film and theater because yeah, you're shooting right. a film, technically, you know, a television show, but at the same time, you have a right. live audience, you get the interaction, it affects, you know, how the jokes, not necessarily how the jokes play, but which jokes, you can find out immediately which jokes work, which jokes don't work. Right. You know, so, yeah. and you get the energy from them, they get the energy from you, so it's really kind of interesting. Um, yeah, so. I mean, you know, like some shows, I mean, I've done a couple pilots uh, with the networks, and I've done a multi-camera, and I did a... Uh, a hybrid, kind of like How I Met Your Mother, where they don't use an audience, they do block and shoot, and mm-hmm. you know they might shoot over two days, and they have sets. It's the same style, where you have four cameras uh, looking into the set and, and filming and uh, doing that thing, but it's also, um, uh, um, you know, the, the the audience is, uh, they'll laugh. They use laugh, uh, laugh machine. There's a oh, guy that actually has two guys. They have a machine. So what they'll do is like, you know, hey, you could have a dead audience one night. I mean, some of these audiences are paid audiences that come in. You, you know, they, if you don't know the show, you know, if it's a new show, they don't know it. Like, well, if everybody wants to go to Big Bang, so they're sure. never looking for audiences because it's a big, you know, show that everybody knows. Um, everybody's going to see Broke Girls. Everybody wants to go see Mom or the Millers or Mike and Molly. But this show, Undateable, for us, it's like, look, no one knows who we are quite yet. I mean, some people are familiar, definitely. But, like, we're not a, we're not a uh, you know, we're not, uh, a lot of the audience that came was from people, writers on the staff or fans of the comics or, you know, we were able to do it. But sometimes you get, you know, you can import, uh, you, you bring in an audience and they come from people and they're just not into the show. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't choose to come. So they're there and they're getting, you know, a couple bucks to be there and a free sandwich and they're just like, whatever. So you get this dead audience and then, so when you get the cutback, you're like, wow, we know that's a lot funnier than uh, it came across that night. So there's a guy, there's a couple guys who have like a patented machine that's kind of like a laughing, so you sweeten it, and you know, in the mix, you'll sweeten the laugh or add some stuff here and there. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, so some people are like the, the showrunners or the uh, you know, directors are less reliant on if something worked in the audience at all. Oh, this was definitely bigger on show night. It, it, like Bill's very, Bill and Adam are very uh, um, thoughtful about making sure that like this played bigger on show night, then that means it makes the makes the cut. Uh, it's the show right now, that audience's opinion or their reaction is very, um, it's very important to uh, what they'll decide and Adam decides what they're going to use, what jokes or what takes we're going to use. So, um, but other shows aren't, uh, aren't not on that. They're like, well, you know, look, I can cut this together and it's going to be, it's going to be, and, and you know, I'll put sweet in the last, so I'll kind of go that way. So the, uh, the audience is huge for us, the big thing. So we kind of lean into that. So it's almost kind of like that. The Seahawks using going to play at home game or, or the 
the Chiefs, like the deafening sound. We know that that's an mm-hmm. asset. It's the thirteenth man or whatever it is they call it. Like we're <laughs> we're with them. So they're uh uh, uh we're, we're, we're we uh, we use it we use it pretty we're pretty reliant on it. Yeah. So. I I was yeah. slightly disappointed. The, the audience was terrific when I was there. I mean, there were a lot of laughs. It was really <laughs> funny. But I was slightly disappointed because there was no sign. You know how you see uh, on TV shows oh, yeah, or film, right? The applause yeah. sign. The, I, there was no applause sign. There was nothing to tell us when we should <laughs> clap and laugh. And but they seemed to figure it out. Yeah, no, that is funny. I though. think that that's, that's a, I mean, that's kind of like they do that a lot with uh, with like um, variety shows, like whether it's Kimmel or those. I think that you know, like a talk show. I don't know if Jimmy used that kind of stuff, but like I know that they talk shows traditionally have that kind of thing because they're more timed. You know, you're like, okay, we're doing this, and you know, we get the guest has this much time, and they're right. kind of being a little more like that. But um, but we're uh, we yeah, I guess uh, you know, we just don't do that. I guess it's kind of a throwback thing. But yeah, you kind of I think the most old school thing is that Adam wanted to make sure that when you come up in from the titles and the show that it says you know, unnatable film in front of a live studio audience, kind of like how Cheers was said that and. That old school kind of announcement, or Taxi was, or you know, you know those old old shows, they would say that. So that's so we were trying to get more back to that. That's that's as old school a throwback as we get, beyond the form of it being a multi camera. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, they don't have those signs. I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Yeah, I, I totally expected to see one, but I didn't. That was funny. Yeah. Um, and Bill actually was very interactive as well. He like climbed up into the stands and you yeah. know was uh Well Bill's a Bill's a Bill's like a performer at heart. It's funny because it's like, you know, as we're writing, as we're doing our thing, it's so funny because he's like, you know, he goes on the road and he's going back out on the road with the stand ups. They're doing a tour, they're starting it they're doing it South by Southwest and then they're um and then they're going around and doing kind of what they did in the grassroots tour last year with them the whole promote show. So Bill does that. He opens for them. And he used to be, you know, he did stand up as a young man before Spin City and did that whole thing and tried to do that stuff. It's hilarious. And mm-hmm. when we're in the writer's room, he's doing more bits. Like a lot of the bits that the guys do, especially for Chris Lee's character, because Chris and him, like that personality style and that whole thing is very much in Bill's wheelhouse. He'll kind of do bits in that whole thing and it's really funny and he's hilarious so so he's gonna perform so i think he loves like that show night he loves that energy he loves getting up there and a lot of people come to see him because they're scrubs fans sure. they're you know um cougar town fans and they come and you know he's been very uh open and vocal at the writers guild and he's always you know willing to help people and done certain things so he's a very accessible guy of the people and i think that he loves that element so he gets up there and he kind of he likes to uh, kind of set up the show and, and get that uh, feedback from people and try to work them. And you know, he's also really aware during the show, like, hey, man, uh, Ron Funches is really killing tonight, and we have a scene up here that's a little tough, uh, that we know that the actors got late, that might be tough. Um, Ron's pretty light in that thing. Let's have Ron do stand-up and the sets, keep the audience going. So he's right. thinking about it almost like a maestro in that way, too, of like, oh, okay, uh, you know, these, i got to keep them... Uh, that keeps him engaged. So he, but he loves it. He loves it. It's great. Gets up there and tries to make it, uh, make it, make the audience. He knows how important they are, and uh, you know that live audience. So he's he's very uh, conscientious of making sure that uh, uh, he's he's kind of strumming those strings the right way. But uh, yeah, it's funny. He's just he's a kid in uh, taking shit. He loves it. He gets in there with the comics. They work out bits together. A lot of the second pass things, or <laughs> where we go through the, um, you know, we go through the uh, new uh, 
do a new take with new jokes. Those are a lot of Bill's jokes that he kind of riffs with the guys. And, um, but it's wild, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's wild to watch everybody kind of do their thing on show nights. Like, uh, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Well, be- <laughs> to watch everybody going to do their thing. Before I realized it was Bill, I just saw him climb up into the stands (laughs) and start doing, you know, start telling some jokes. And I'm like, oh, he's pretty funny. I'm like, wait, that's Bill Lawrence. (laughs) That was really kind of odd to me. I thought he was just because, you know, there is an MC up there who's doing jokes and stuff. Um, And you had some stand-up comics come out, you know, either cast member. I think one of them wasn't a cast member. But, you know, different Uh warm-up guys or, you know, cast members who are stand-up comedians. So I just assumed that he was a stand-up comedian. So I looked closely. I'm like, wait a minute. That's Bill Lawrence. So I thought that was funny because he was actually really good. Yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, Chuck Lorre, is, that isn't his thing. I don't think he would do that. I don't know if Michael Patrick King or if, uh, you know, uh, Bruce Halford or any of those guys are in that kind of a style or they would that would be their, their move to do. But that's definitely Bill's. He's that, that's his style and he loves that stuff. So he was very, you know, he loved getting up there. That's so funny. He was like, hey, who's this millionaire walking, climbing over the rail? Do we need to run? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, yeah, he's he loves it, man. It's so fun. It's fun to watch him up there. It's just uh, he, uh, you know, I think it, you know it, it, he's a performer at heart, and he does little steps to the scrubs and and Cougar Town, where he's you know done it. You know, they he always have show creators or some writer or whatever will do it, some kind of cameo when you're later in the season and whatever. But he's he's got a feeling he's always been really funny. So uh, he's a he's a big gem. He's so funny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now you guys are back Tuesday, March seventeenth. Which actually, I think we're gonna post this on Tuesday, March seventeenth. So you're probably hearing it, and you probably should not be listening to this. You should be watching Undateable. But yeah, um, watch it and listen, and then uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, get people who are, um, get people of Nielsen boxes to yeah. watch it. If you have a Nielsen box, this is an open. This is a, gen, a generic. Uh, solicitation to you that's not a solicitation, <laughs> solicitation, illegal solicitation to you. Right. We'd love it if you watched the show with a ton of people. Yeah, so everyone <laughs> watch the show, that. but especially you Nielsen families, please watch it. And, uh, please watch it. Yeah, immediately. We'd love it. Yeah, um, right. When do you find... Uh, you... We just would implore you to see <laughs> 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 um, You haven't... So you're going to air uh, after yeah. The Voice. How soon after do you find out uh, about another season, season three? Uh, well, yeah, the, the thing is, is with multi-camera nowadays, it's, it's a lot different than the way it used to be. Um, you know, uh, in, in, as, as in the old days, they would let something grow for a while. I mean, you heard same stories of Seinfeld being kind of a summer bomb, and then it, just, it kind of found its legs, and they just kept it on the air, and, mm-hmm. and they kind of find an audience, and then it starts to blow up. That's a very common thing you'd hear, hear uh, you know, back uh, years ago. And, and nowadays, it's just not the, it's just not the, not the case. I mean, they, it's it's because it's almost kind of like how our news cycles have turned into 48 hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. Kind of our attention spans for theater or for, for, uh, for TV shows and, 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 you know, theatrical, you know, whether, you know, movies used to play for a year. Remember at the right. time or watching Star Wars as a kid, you'd go to the theater and you'd go and see it again. And it would be a couple months later, like, let's go see Star Wars again. Right. Cause it was in the same theater, you know, TV show gets chance. Now it's kind of like, Hey, if you don't perform right away, uh, you better start going heading towards the door. It's kind of like it, it, it's pretty brutal. So mm-hmm. uh, just too much competition on the dial and on the you know on the iPad and whatever it may be. So uh, we should know relatively quick. I mean, hopefully you know last year we were off the off the you know radars so to speak, and now with having NBC behind us and being very you know a lot of promotion and a lot of um, you know a lot of plugs within the voice and using the voice to draft off of you know the lead in, uh, we 
we're hoping to get you know good uh, good sampling a great number on the on a premiere and then hopefully hold that for a few weeks and if I think if we hold it for the first three hold it or stay near that at, at an acceptable you know acceptable uh, um, uh, acceptable loss so to speak of, of of rating points or maybe even a growth like Empire went crazy like mm-hmm. it went big and then it just got bigger it's like that's a, such a specific kind of like such a phenomenon and then everybody's like how do we get the next empire we're hoping that that's the thing that happens with undateable <laughs> they're actually like hey how do we get undateable <laughs> but um well, i mean i think the way uh the way it will work is that we'll get a number um off that number depending on the next the few, two to three weeks after that how we do uh, if we retain that uh if we lose a lot if we gain some that will all take a uh into account with uh, nbc's decision making as they make their decisions for the fall here in mid-May. So we will know, we'll have a good idea with it by the, by I would think the first or second week of April. So that would have been three to four airings. We'll kind of have, there'll be a pattern that's discernible by then, by the powers that be where they could say, all right, cool, this is it. And then, then the other factors that, that play into that are, um, their current development slate is a lot of multi-camera things they could pair it with. It kind of starts to get the scheduling. They can, you know, some shows are like, all right, cool. This is doing, it doesn't cost a lot of money for that rating point, even though that rating point is a huge rating point compared to the other networks. You know, it doesn't have to win its time slot to get a renewal, but if it holds its own in a certain thing, they, you know, they go, okay, cool. We can put another show behind that and we can do a big, you know, make it a, make it a big, um, uh, make it a big thing. So, and, and, you know, the networks, uh, the networks have been making a push to try to go back to multi-camera comedy because of their cost effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, they cost less money to make as opposed to like a show like Parks and Rec or like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something. Right. So, you know, that rating point, uh, a comparable rating point between a multi-camera and a single camera might be a huge factor where uh, they go, well, that one costs a lot less to make than the other one. Um, you know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but the, this is a long answer to uh, the short answer would be that we should know within the first three to four weeks how it looks. And then, you know, they could, they could pick us up early. They could just wait. They could, uh, um, you know, they could make up their minds early that, Hey guys, time to go look for new jobs right. and, uh, and, and start going that way too. So, uh, yeah, it's a stressful, crazy thing, but it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, it's ironic that it's when run March madness. It's kind of like the tournament March madness. You do this whole, a lot of work to get there and to be one game and out, you know, right. or you play two games and out or three games and out or like, Hey, we're in the whole thing. So, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it should be like that. So we'll see, man. It, it'll be, uh, it'll be, you know, and, and upfront for your listeners who don't know that is when the, um, the networks, uh, networks being, you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, like kind of the broadcast networks, not the cable network so much. Uh, they go to New York and they do the the uh, chairman of Combra Entertainment for that um, for that uh, network will go in front of all the the uh, advertisers and the advertising companies and whatever show them kind of a sizzle reel of what they're programming with the idea of raising money to get in and uh, and raise money for advertising dollars. So uh, they have to make up their mind what they're shooting. You know, the pilots are shooting now. They're shooting and they'll be delivered in you know in April. And they'll make up their minds right before uh, that day. And when they do that, they kind of, uh, you know, you, if you're a creator, you get a pilot. Let's say that they order 10 pilots in comedy. You start to hear, hey, we're going to be on the schedule. We're going to be in mid-season, you know, in the mid-season schedule like Undateable was. Or we're going to be in the fall schedule, which is like the premier thing to do uh, or the thing you really want to do. And, 
you go from there. So we're hoping to get, you know, some good news, um, you know, have a good inclination as to how the future's going to play out before that. But um, uh, you never know. It could be a game time decision. So you never know. Pretty right. wild. Now, is there a different, I don't want to say quota in terms of ratings, but is there a different number that they look for for a fall right. show versus a mid-season replacement show? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, I mean, there's definitely, you know, look, I mean, it all comes down to money as it all does. Mm. Um, you know, this upfront thing that'll happen in May is to get people to kind of buy in on the premium, you know, like you're buying in ahead before this thing becomes a big hit. So like right. they would have shown empire at that time and said, okay, cool. You can get in at X amount of dollars. Well, now that empire is a bona fide monster hit to try to get back in on empire and get your, you know, your Apple iWatch commercial or whatever, it's going to cost a lot more. Right. So a lot of times what you're doing is buying kind of on, on futures, hoping that those shows in the pitting or, hey, we're going to buy a whole media package. We're Target and we want to buy a whole media package of, of ads and, and promotion and product placement and stuff into NBC. And we saw their schedule and we really love it because there's a blacklist. We could do this part of our, our profile and here and, and, you know, uh, for kids and family, we've got this show that you have over here. And for comedy and stuff that's like, you know, do beer and whatever, you got a bar show and undateable, all that stuff kind of plays into it. So um, if that money is big and high up early, you know, uh, you know, broadcasters, that's when they're making those decisions. You get these people that aren't necessarily creative. They're like, how did that, you know, famous examples of, holy shit, that show was such a great pilot with that cast. Oh, my God, Jack Black was in it and Owen Wilson were in it and Ben Stiller wrote and directed it. It's like, oh, my God, how do you how does that not go? And you're like, you know, uh, because at the time before those people were anything, there was probably factors in the, on the business side of the big media conglomerates that were saying, Hey, look, target and Walmart and, and, uh, um, you know, and Budweiser and whoever are looking to buy into that, uh, these shows, they like these shows better. So it's a money thing, you know, you're not getting going on. It's going to be like cheers or taxi. And it's going to be a, you know, we're going to get your audience in a certain way. They're kind of looking for things that are, um, you know, in general, I'm not, this is the generic thing, but they're generally trying to find that, uh, um, that, uh, uh, the thing that kind of pleases all gods and so to speak. And very, every once in a while you get like a friend that the breakout creatively and, you know, financially and those things make literally billions of dollars. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but so, so the money is, the, is, is, you know, a huge part of it. So an equitable rating point. So like, let's say that, you know, someone's getting a great rating point, but they get more money for a show with lesser rating point because of the audience it gets and of who they are in the demo. I mean, like that Apple computer always used to say, yeah, we only have 10% of the market share of PCs, but our 10% buys Audis and BMWs and high-end tickets, whereas another 90% are buying things that are less the values of, of advertising. They always use Steve Jobs, I remember, always used to use that as a moniker or kind of like a point of pride for not having market share. It was kind of, well, this is our spin on it. So you could say the same thing with a with a show, I would think, because the rating point you could say, well, look, this one costs less money, and the advertisers that we get are more lucrative or bigger whales than the ones that the one that's maybe getting a better rating, but is maybe more niche audience that they go, okay, cool. Um, you know, you saw a little bit of that, like there's that Jane the Virgin, which is on CW, and it won uh, Gina Rodriguez won like a, a you know won the Golden Globe for performer. Well, then ratings have not been great. I mean, mm-hmm. they've been in a really low. Uh, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.3. Like, that's really low for a network show. Mm-hmm. Normally, that would be like, hey, you're on the chopping block. There, it was a creative hit, and also the demo, because it's going after, uh, you know, like a Latino engine and stuff like that. That makes that 
that that math change that 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 component or that that uh, a variable changes that. So sure. in in the sense for CW, their threshold might be at a different place, and they go, "All right, cool." And it's getting critical acclaim. We know this is going to grow, and we have a big foothold in the Latino community, where that's a, a growing community that we're we're looking to try to. Uh, our advertisers are super interested in getting into. So, um, you know, that, that, that can, since so many things, it's just things that are completely out of your control. So you just try to like, all right, cool. People like this. I mean, ultimately Bill would say, if it's a great show and it's, it's creatively great and it's clicking that way, very soon that get canceled. Something is just kind of not working, but it's got a niche audience here. People love it, but it doesn't do a lot of money. And it's like, you know, the community is a, is a show that is, a, is a, you know, a, a ravenous audience and they're very loyal and very huge and Dan Harmon, you know, got a huge following. Well, that show never was like at the same level as like Seinfeld or Frazier or something like that as far as on the ratings. But um the quality was dictated that it would, you know, keep any chances in doing things like that because it's such a rapid following and, a, and an interesting demo that uh that that tickled the you know, the uh itches for the um networks and the, and the studios. So mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, yeah, that part is just, stuff just mind boggles me. I pretend like I know what I'm talking about and say a lot of words about it, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know. Shit, it's so crazy. No, I mean, they all definitely play into it. Having worked in marketing myself, they all act, yeah. absolute di- points are not necessarily equal. Demographics play right. a huge role in, right. you know, in prestige, winning Emmys or being non, like the Golden Globe win, I'm sure helped as well, especially for a oh, CW, you know? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I mean, I, the same way that you mentioned, like, you know, that, that, uh, um, you know, the trans, uh, the, was it the Amazon, uh, show with, oh my God, I'm uh, trans, transgender. Is that it? What's, what's, oh God. I'm, oh, uh, that, that, now, now I, I just blanked on the name of the show and it's great. But like that, like for that, it was like the Jeffrey Campbell show. It's like that, uh, transparent. That, Transparent. Oh my yeah. God. I was like, it was one of those where I was like, I know it's not transgender. I know it's not trans America because that was a movie. But right. transparent, that is such a huge thing for yeah. Amazon that puts them on the map. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, people are going to now launch that Amazon app on their iPads or on their smart TVs and go, all right, what's going on here? Because I heard the show's great. Yeah. Like that exposure is just massive. So, um, you know, in the same, in the same way that it's like you're, you're, you're looking for, a, you know, for, for on a network level, something like Jane the Virgin gets that kind of accolade, it definitely makes that you know that you know that the footsteps are coming. You know that there's going to be people on their way. Right. So, you know, you, on the come, you're going, all right, cool, this is going to, we could start building off of this and we have a star that we're really excited about and who has a, you know, a lot of, uh, um, you know, critical acclaim and, and a big following in that way. So, um, yeah, that, that that's hugely important to them. Yeah, and for talking about demographics, the CW doesn't get near the ratings as, you know, the, the other big networks, but right. they have that niche, that young demographic. Yeah. Because, you know, the right. shows that they do, the 90210s and the, the Flash know. and Arrow. Right. And, yeah, they, they have, they have a very like specific a young, demographic. Right. It's a very specific kind of a thing. So within that, they're, 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 uh, um, you know, their methodology as far as programming, whatever might be a little different. Uh, then, you know, probably a lot different than it is on the other networks. You know, that's probably more comparable would be an ABC family or one of these other networks that does like young adult style kind of shows, you right. know, like that, like uh, Secret Life of American Teenager or whatever those kind of things or, or you know, MTV even went after it with the Oscar and stuff like that. So they know that it's kind of like young people, beautiful, young, beautiful people with right. like vampire diaries or whatever. 
that you probably wouldn't see that kind of a show necessarily on CBS or because they're more of a different, you know, different demo kind of. And the other thing that, as far as ratings is, 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 is you know, as it's kind of been explained to me, it's also the, is the Twitter stuff. It's like, is the show trending? Is, are people talking about it? Because mm-hmm. Nielsen's trying to get into, and uh, trying to get into more of that kind of tracking to do more of a giant, um, you know, uh, having ratings not just be on the Nielsen is that you have these, these you know, everybody's, everybody's doing two screens. Everyone's, like, watching a show while they're on their phone. Mm-hmm. Everybody's tweeting while they're watching, you know, while they're watching The Voice or whatever. They're tweeting that. And the networks are definitely trying to get a hold of that. And, and, and also, the, you know, the ratings powers and the measurement bureaus, as they are, they're trying to tap into that, too. So if you sit there and go, all right, cool, the Nielsen families aren't necessarily watching this show, but it's, doing, it's trending, it, it, and it's got tweets about it are super high, you know, you, you know, networks can sit there and go, uh, you know, they could sit there and get that a new kind of uh, uh, measurement and go, hey, look, yeah, the number was here, but if you look at this over here, you kind of take the whole picture into consideration. That That's new in the last, you know, year since that whole thing. That's pretty new because uh, it was pretty much live and die by the ratings, you mm-hmm. know, by the Nielsen number. So now I think Nielsen's trying to get into that and making more of like whatever a... Uh, you know, an aggregate number, whatever that could kind of be, as as far as I understand it, and kind of go from there. But um, it's uh, yeah, it, it's a new landscape. So it'll be interesting to see how Undateable does within that. Because I think all of our guys that are on the show are huge. Uh, you know, they're huge um, uh, Twitter fans, followers, and Instagram followers. And Bridget Bendler, we added to the show, is, is, is you know, she's got three and a half, four and a half million whatever, all kinds of, you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, mm-hmm. 7 million Facebook. So that kind of a thing is, is a bit of a push for us to try to say, like, how how do we get Bridget's fan base, which has been this, you know, post-Disney channel kind of thing, which is hugely popular, and how do we get that with Chris D'Elia's fans who are like, you know, he's doing the Bieber roast. It's like a guy right. that's a Comedy Central kind of star that's more of a rough, you know, rough and tumble comic with a girl who's a pop star. Like, how do you how do you marry those audiences and reconcile that and make it one big thing? So, um, you know, that's been a big challenge for us and for NBC's marketing and, and all that to try to try to try to capitalize on it. Cause we're trying to get all those areas and, and make sure that we get, we score in every single, uh, measurement that you could possibly do. Right. You know, whether it's this, that, and the other. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. So for us, I mean, for sure, I think this is a new, new landscape, new frontier for Bill, for sure, um, yeah. and for all of us. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, Nielsen is wise to sort of broaden their horizon because so rarely the Nielsen family you have of, you know, the past, I don't know how long they started, right. long they started of sitting, oh, it's it's uh, Tuesday at Prime 9 time. o'clock, the voice is ending, I'm yeah. going to go watch and date them, I'm going to sit in front of my TV. Nobody watches TV that way anymore. You DVR it. No one does. You know, you, you know right. so... And you watch it later. You watch it, you know, yeah. an hour afterwards because then you can fast forward through all the commercials or you know whatever it happens right. to be. However, you're going to watch it. Um, right. You don't they're watch it. Putting a lot yeah. of they're putting a lot more importance on the live plus seven, which is um, yeah. you know like I think we talked about before. But it's like it's that it's live plus three and live plus seven are things. If you go to the if you if you're you know it's not be boring for people, but whatever. No. It's like you're looking at. If you're looking at the ratings, is that there's a, your Nielsen rating, which is your overnight rating. So uh-huh. you sit there and go, all right, they, like last night, I'm, you know, I had the ratings up earlier, and it was like, uh, you know, uh, the Odd Couple was on there because this is a multicam, 
Um, and the uh, I think they got a 2.5. That was like their number, right? That's their overnight number. Now you sit there and, and go, all right, cool. Last night, Kyrie Irving went crazy. And, right. and people might be watching him throw up 57 on the Spurs, and they've taped it and they're going to come back. So in three days, they'll take another measurement to see measure with who watched it on DVR or later. And then in seven days, they'll do another one. So mm-hmm. that's a live plus three, live plus seven. So they go three days from now and, three, and seven days from now. That, that measurement used to, I think used to have less value, or not value, but less importance by the networks like Aless Mundes or whoever, you know, again, those powers that be. Um, less important on that kind of stuff than the overnight ones because you're like okay that is what it is and, and this is right. you know that's how it's going to go so big bang last night in 1849 i'm just looking now it's 4.4 with 16 million viewers now it was live plus sd standard definition that's their whole thing in three days you will you'll be able to look up and see what big bangs uh live plus three numbers were and in seven days you'll see what their live plus seven and those should go up because that means people were they're adding those onto that so um sometimes you might not have a show might not have uh amazing uh it might have a good or decent uh, overnight numbers but they're plus three and plus seven a lot of cable shows are that way you know like right. with the game of thrones and, and that kind of stuff or well, people will watch it over the week sometime right. that doesn't mean that it just means it's like oh, okay this is the window where we care it's like they're still technically seeing all the same stuff sure. you know they're able to fast forward through commercials or whatever but you know but they you know if they they weren't or you put a product placement in there for coke or whatever it is they're still seeing the guy drink a Coke, you know, you still got the sure. same eyeball. So there's got to be a measurement for that that makes sense and makes is important to them. So they said, I mean, there's been a lot of stories about that, like that that's becoming more and more of a uh, um, thing that, that the networks are looking at that number with a lot more weight than they normally, or they used to. Right. So, um, you know, there's, there's where all of a sudden your life plus seven, your life plus three, it's higher than the show that, that beat you in the overnight. So you're like, all right, cool. We lost to Fox in on at, from eight o'clock, but you know, in our lot plus three plus seven, we actually passed Fox. We were higher than them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're like, oh, okay, cool. We tell the the advertisers, hey man, look, this is our thing, and then they can do that as opposed to ah, we kind of lost that game. It's no, you, but you want you might have won the series, you know. Right. So it's a it's a definite definitely a different uh, different profile that way. So um, that's all all shit that we're gonna see with Undateable that's going to be interesting. Our live plus three and live plus seven was, wasn't that big of a, we didn't get a big boon off of that. We were hoping we would, right. but we didn't get a big boon because we were up against the, uh, um, the NBA finals. So it was really tough. Like if you were watching that, you weren't necessarily watching, you right. know, undateable. We were kind of had the eyeballs or we didn't, it wasn't, there was no, uh, there was no dance in there where we can kind of go, well, we know people watched it then. Some people definitely did, but you know, when you're not being promoted, people would know to tape you. They had to know to kind of look for you. Sure. They couldn't stumble upon you. It's kind of like, you know, you have to set your DVR, you know. So um, so um, we'll see this time now, hopefully, with the awareness, just like a movie and penetration with ad campaigns. So that actually hopefully will become something that, that those numbers have a bigger impact in our, um, in, in our success or our, you know, our demise. So right. we'll see. And do they, but, take uh, into, do they take into consideration that, certain shows, you know, with an older demographic may have right. far more viewers that watch it immediately or at least watch it on TV, whereas a show like Undateable yeah. or something that has a younger skewing demographic may watch it online, and there's no ratings for that. I mean, I'm sure they, I guess they can kind of gauge how many downloads, but I don't know if that's really tracked. I've never seen, like, tracking numbers. There like, is. 
I think there is. I don't think it's something like Nielsen where you can go on a, a website like TV by the numbers right. or one of those and pull that up. I think they definitely have those kind of things. I think Nielsen, if you have a subscription to Nielsen, you probably pull those things. Right. And when I worked in advertising, we definitely did. There was nothing like this. There was no Twitter. There was no real internet kind of a thing right. um, where there was that. It was all Nielsen. We, you know, I was a buyer for, I bought local, you know, local markets and whatever for like mostly like cartoons and kids programming. And it was like, you use, you live and died by a printed Nielsen book. That was it. And right. then you had a printed radio, you know, um, Arbitron book. And that was it. So if you were buying radio and then you're like, well, that, you know, that drive time half hour in, you know, uh, Wilkes-Barre, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, it right. does this. And that's what you're buying. It's like, that's your cost per point of what you spent on a commercial or what you were going to charge or whatever it was going to be. Now it's kind of, you could start using these, you know, make aggregates of all this stuff and try to figure out some kind of a thing. But I, I don't know. It's, it's wild. Cause like, you know, CBS, like to your point earlier, it's like, CBS is always considered like the, you know, the, uh, a network for older demographics. Sure. So you sit there and likewise, you know, last night they big bang and, and the odd couple and, um, elementary, those kind of shows win big in those things. Cause people are watching them live. Whereas right. a show like 30 rock or maybe Brooklyn nine, nine or now last man on earth, people might not block that. That's aimed not towards my parents or people of that era where they were used to like, you were saying sit down at eight o'clock and saying, all right, we'll watch the next two hours and we'll watch the news at 10 and then we'll right. watch Johnny Carson in bed. And it's like, that's just not the way it is anymore. Right. You know, even, you know, late night hosts like Jimmy Kimmel, you know, I didn't watch last night's thing live. I watched the internet feed of president Obama on there and his mean yeah. tweets. And you watch Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon do, you watch him do his rap battles and you watch, uh, you know, Letterman have a guest or a musical guest. He's kind of watching in segments, and it's kind of like you're watching him online the next day. So they're definitely tracking those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I know that they're doing that. I think it's again, it's kind of like in the same way that you could, if you're a car dealer, you go, look, we're a luxury car. These, this is the demographic. We don't care. If we have rock. You know, uh, we're gonna put a Who song on because the Who is the big band when the people who bought our car were right. 18, and they're you know, as opposed to RK, it's a you know, it's a, it's a Hyundai, it's a smaller Hyundai, you know, it's going after high school and college kids. It's going to look, you know, they're going to put, you know, more current music and stuff like that. So you rate them differently and measure things differently as you kind of do that. And that should no different, even though they all kind of share, you know, I'm sure CBS would love that empire. So NBC, right. even if that wasn't in their plans, they would all love to steal that the same way that, you know, I'm sure, you know, uh, uh, Ford would have loved to have the Prius, you know, it's right. like that. So it's the, uh, but their plans are always to kind of row in this direction and go towards that that goal. So, um, uh, yeah, but it's uh, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting. Changed a lot. Yeah, I remember seeing a cartoon. I think it was in the L.A. Times. It was a little cartoon, you know, in the in the paper, and uh-huh. it said what sh- what film executives should take from the success of Titanic. Uh, uh-huh. No, what what film executives. Oh yeah, should take from the success of the Titanic, and it has a bunch of uh-huh. uh, a drawing of a bunch of executives sitting around a boardroom saying we should uh, give our creative types more freedom to to make the kind of movies they want to make. And then what it says, right. what film executives will take from the success of Titanic, and it says boats. We need more movies with boats, you know, that kind of thing, which is <laughs> that's hundred percent, you know, kind of the way it goes. Right? <laughs> it's exactly, and all of a sudden, <laughs> much of 
hey, uh, let's get our Lusitania thing, uh, right. you know, <laughs> fast forward as quickly as we possibly can. Let's, let's do the so Hindenburg. Crazy. It's kind of like that's a flying true. boat. Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> let's do, yeah, oh, man. Let's redo the Poseidon Adventure. Let's redo the, it's like right. so funny to kind of see that kind of a thing. It's like, you know, uh, you know, like the, the Annabelle movie hits and everybody's like, let's do creepy period horror. Right. You know, that's looking, you know, it's like Hammer films and stuff. And then if you're like, oh, great, you know, where the Millers hit, let's all do, you know, or, or let's see, uh, Hobo Boxes, the first one hits. You're like, well, those are three guys that add up to one salary, less, still at half the salary of a Will Ferrell or somebody else. Let's do that and go for an R, like a hard R and go into that kind of a thing and that, you know. There's yeah. so many, just always chasing the tail of something, right. you know, and it's always the guys that kind of dummy into that other thing. But that said, it's like those formulas kind of work. We still are going to go see the Avengers. We're still going to go see yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean 5000 or whatever the hell it is numbered there on now. We'll still kind of do that. But that, those ones that you, you really take in a big swing where it's like Saw or Blair Witch or, you know, something that kind of comes out of uh, or even like Greek wedding or something where it was an yeah. individual voice, full money where it's like coming out of Britain and you're like, holy shit. Um, th- that just feels like uh, those days are harder and harder to, harder and harder to replicate. They're not yeah. just really not willing to make, you probably hear this from a lot of your screenwriting guests and stuff like that. Just, just stop making that stuff. Yeah. They're like, okay, cool. Let's make, uh, let's make another sequel of this or a spinoff of that or something within the, uh, right. What kind of um, franchise can know. we make? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty, uh, it can be, it's disconcerting for sure. Right. Now, um, the ratings, uh, I'm sure are going to come back fantastic for undateable. They should, hey. if it's qualities any any uh, gauge. <laughs> um, but like you had said, after you'll know in a week or so, and if ratings come back poorly for other shows, if ratings come back poorly, yeah. um, some shows the the writers all of a sudden know right fairly soon that you're going to scatter to the winds and look for a job. So since we're nearing right. staffing season, um, yeah, the pilots are going to start to get picked up in April and that kind of thing. Um, right, right, right. We're, we're putting together an article which you've generously contributed to uh, on staffing season and and things that right, writers right. should and shouldn't do, the do's and don'ts. Um, so. So maybe we can chat a little bit about that. What sort of advice do you yeah. have for for right. writers coming in? You know, again at that staffing that level of of you know staff writers yeah. trying to get a freelance job, something like that. Obviously, not supervising producers, and you know they're obviously right, right, a different it's, yeah, it's situation. A, yes, I mean like staff. I mean this is I'm you know being a fan of your site. I know it's like you know a huge part of of the kind of the thing that the guests or your fans are interested in, the mm-hmm. listeners are interested in, like how, how you got your break. You know, and the first time we talked, we talked about that as well. Or mm-hmm. How you got in or what's your, you know, what's your break in story. Everybody has that kind of, uh, has that interest to kind of hear how that is so they can either emulate it or copy it or be infuriated by it. That's how you got in. Right. Parker. So it's like, so, uh, but, but in general, like, this is how, this is how the season will look like kind of for me. And then, you know, what we can do is like kind of like kind of kick off of that. So I think seven season comes around, they're making the pilots now, you know, in, in by, by the end of the, okay. So, so the, let's think about for staffing season for next year. So like mm-hmm. go through the whole process, you know, like I would be support. So essentially uh, shows that they would, that would debut in fall of 2000 or not super 2015. When they go in this fall. So last summer, during the summer, the networks were all buying scripts. Uh, they might have bought, you know, over all the networks. All the, I'm talking the broadcast networks. Uh, right. 
CBS, NBC, CW, uh, ABC, and Fox. They bought um, a bunch of scripts, drama and comedy. So they bought, like, let's say they bought, each one bought 60 projects, 60 scripts. Mm -hmm. From that, they might make 10 pilots, you know, three or four one hours, five comedies, whatever it is, one, you know, maybe one reality, whatever it is. They're going to do that kind of a thing. Then they're going to go and test the shit out of them, and they're going to, you know, you have to go through casting, make them all up. They're going to recast something where, hey, we really love this project. We spent a bunch of money on it. We didn't like the actress or actor we got, or, the, you know, we thought we could redo this, retool, let's re, you know, let's reshoot this scene and add this character in and, or, you know, this person came available because their show fell out, whatever. So right now they're making, there's a scramble for casting. They're making pilots right now for, for dramas, for one, you know, for one hour dramas, one hour dramedies, you know, half hour comedies, whatever it may be, single camera, multi-camera. So what will happen right now is while, during that process, uh, it's kind of like uh, we're in film, like it's a feature they do a round table and you get paid. And in TV, it's kind of a, a wink, wink, bro, bro. It's like helping your buddy move kind of a thing. Right. So as you're doing the week of production for uh, that week, well, you know, while you're technically in production, uh, you're going to do your table read. You'll do a rewrite after your table read. You're going to do a rewrite or you do a rewrite before your table read. You'll do a rewrite after your table read. You'll do a network or a studio run through, a producer's run through. You do a rewrite, meaning that they'll put up the show in front of your um, uh, the producers, and then you make a rewrite, see what's not working. Then you do the studio, you'll get notes, you'll do another rewrite, and then you'll do your network one, which is another big rewrite. So you're going to rewrite it several times, and the rewrites could be extensive where you're doing page ones. They could be very, you know, somewhere in the middle, and they could also be very light where you're just beating jokes, having extra jokes. So like kind of like unbeatable what you saw Kevin, which is like, mm -hmm. you know, Hey, that was funny. We got that on a laugh in the first pass. Let's see, let's try this a bit. We can get a bigger laugh with this or, Hey, that shit, the bad, let's hear something different. Let's do this. Um, so you might, the rewrites could be like, Hey, we just need extra jokes or whatever. So mm -hmm. it's usually somewhere in between. Um, during that time, everybody, it's kind of almost like a, it's like a freelance audition process. Usually the showrunner, the producer or creator, they're calling up friends. They're saying, hey, I worked with you on this show over here. I worked with you on Blackish. I worked with you on Everybody Loves Raymond. Come help me one night. Like, go, come to the table, read here, and I'd love to hear it. And help me. It's almost like you put together a, uh, an impromptu staff to address what you're going to go through. You can have people of all levels. You can have, hey, this guy, you stand up, I think, really funny. I think he's great for jokes. Here's someone I've never met before. My agent said he's really funny, and I should know him. Uh, here's someone that um, they, uh, I, I reached out to because I'm a fan of it. I think they'd be great. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, you get put in these rooms where you're um, almost like, a, like an impromptu writer's room, and you're helping out. So you went to the table read. You saw what worked and what didn't work. You go back, and they're order dinner, and you guys talk about it and pitch jokes and help through. And that's like almost like a little bit of an audition for you as a writer. Didn't know that creator. That guy goes, hey, that guy's really funny. He got a bunch of jokes. That was, he was really helpful. Or he really analyzed the problem well. Or... God, that guy won't shut the fuck up. I don't. I could not spend <laughs> that much time with him. Right. Or that guy's. Uh, that guy's really. Or that that woman is hilarious. And the two of them are really funny together. They, they would be really, really great for. Uh, they really wrote this character really well. So as let's say then that show gets ordered, you're going back through. You're doing those with every rewrite group. So you you know you do a new room the next night, new room the next night, new room the next night. All different, same people sometimes, sometimes all different people, sometimes a mix of same and different, right? Mm -hmm. um, does that make sense? Like all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. Doing, every night you're kind of inviting different people, different friends. The studio might say, hey, this is a writer that was in our diversity program that we think is really great. He's probably not even on your radar or on your agent's radar. He's not even represented. Uh, I think they'd be great. You see, you meet them and you go, God damn, they're awesome. 
So that's that's really cool. Right. So you're meeting new people, whatever. So a lot of times you're using your friends, but there are, you know, there's kind of like seats for the bench for other people. And I think if you're a young writer and you can get one of those seats, whether you know, just recently got represented or you're hip pocketed by an agent and they represent the writer who created, you know, who's doing this pilot and you read it and you said, Hey, I read, um, uh, Kevin's pilot and it's fantastic. And I know they're shooting it. Is there any way I can help out? And he'll say, let me ask. So they, that your agent would maybe call, get call you Say, hey, I got a fun writer over here. It's great. They come, you might say, yeah, you know, I have a lot of people. Uh, can they come, you know, tomorrow night after the studio? Like, all right, great. You meet them. They're there. They're really helpful. You go, all right, cool. If this show goes and they order episodes, there are 10 or there are 13 for the fall. That guy's on my radar. Mm-hmm. Right? So a lot of ways, you know, you're trying to get that, that, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that that can go. So helping out on pilots is one big way. So this is a long way of saying, like, helping out on pilots. There's, those are really hard spots to get because, again, everyone uses their friends. They don't have a lot of time. This isn't, you know, they're worried about getting their pilot on there. They're not worried about making sure everybody's happy. If right. they, you know, hey, I said no to this person. I just want whoever's going to help me the most so I can get my show on the air. Right. So, but if you get one of those spots, you got, you're on display. And not only for the showrunner, the other people that are there. Mm-hmm. It might be a co-executive producer that's on Blackish that's on your show that's there to help out that you worked on another show with and he's watching you and you're there and you guys really vibe. Right. Mm -hmm. He goes back to blackish. They have a staff writer open. I met this guy on a table. He's really funny. Yeah. I met this woman. She was hilarious. We're looking for, you know, whatever. So it's an exposure because, you know, you know, especially with, you know, with, with TV, it's a very social thing. It's very, very tight knit and clicky in a certain Mm -hmm. way. And getting into those kind of things is really difficult. So, you know, in a way, you know, like I, I helped out on One Big Happy Family or One Big Happy, which debuted after Unnatable, because my agent had the same agent as the creator of that. And I met her, and this film is hilarious. She worked on the Oscars, and she's great. She's an Ellen, she's an Ellen writer, and she worked on two book girls, and hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's a lesbian woman, and the show's about lesbians or whatever. And, they, and I came in as like a dudeish dude, <laughs> and I was writing as the male lead. And I yeah. was not male, and I was like, hey, I think you'd say this a little bit more. This might sound a little more dudeish. And, and I was able to help. Specifically, so if Undateable didn't come back, you know, uh, I could have, you know, I, I met with Liz and, and she could have very well said, "Hey, will you come on and help us?" You know, um, that wasn't the case. I didn't, you know, Undateable came back and that wasn't, you know, it was a moot conversation. But in that case, I like she could see me as an asset because during that time, I, you know, I helped or I was available on in, in show night. I was able to come in with jokes that she used right. on the floor when things didn't work, or I could say, "Hey, you might want to cover this or that or the other," because you're going to help them. So that's one way to do it is to help on a show that's getting made. That's, that's really, really hard to do. I mean, if you're on one hour, I'm talking mostly comedy. Yeah. With a one hour or something like that, that's really difficult. But, um, you know, so one way is to, is, is if you have any kind of contact, the, the common denominator of this conversation will go, who you know. If you know someone, yeah. meaning your agent, they can figure you in and stuff. If you're not represented or you have a manager or, you know, you're someone else, they can call and try to get you in there. Mm-hmm. Um but ultimately, or you might know someone at a neighbor's friend or whatever it is, or you met someone at a stand-up club and said, hey, can I help out? Whatever it is, if you can get in one of those, it's a great opportunity because you're, they're seeing you in action. It's not like reading a spec and meeting you in a, in a, in a scale environment where everyone's on their best behavior. Right. You're kind of seeing them in the trenches and how they behave. Like, right. wow, that guy won't shut up when I'm trying to think. Or that guy pitches really, really great jokes. So that guy pitches really hacky jokes that aren't in the story. If right. They're like really funny but they're not in the tone of the show. You know, 
you could kind of hang yourself or you could really help yourself in that sense. So um, those are that's one way that's really, really big. The other way is obviously like submitting. So let's say that you get uh, a meeting on, let's say uh, there's a pilot that goes and, and um, let's just use Blackish as an example. Blackish is a first-year show. Kenya Barris met and Larry Wilmore met with a bunch of people. They had their friends who they were going to offer. There were people who were on deals with the studio that they were given, you know, that they wouldn't have to pay for because the studio is already paying for them. Right. But they, let's say that they had five staffing slots for two staff writers, two middle of it. You know, they're given almost like it's like a fantasy football roster. You right. get an amount of money and you, you use that. You could use all upper levels and use have a few people on staff. But they're all people who are really experienced and, and have, you know, a very, you know, they cost this much money. Right. Or you could have like an undateable because they cut our budget in success, which is, you know, always kind of a funny thing that they do. Right. If the show does really well, they go, okay, cool. Can you do it for three quarters of the amount you did there? <laughs> You're like, right. yeah. So we didn't have as many upper levels. I was an upper level there. The rest was story editor and staff level, which is, you know, considered like, you know, um, you know, a, a, a less experienced people. Sure, sure. So we had a ton of people. There was 14 of us with Bill and Adam and stuff. That's a big staff. Yeah. But That's we had huge. a couple writing teams and whatever. And so that was a huge staff for us, but they were all staff writer level. So you're, you know, in the money of it all, you're able to kind of split for a bunch of, a bunch of more people because, uh, that's the way it works. So, um, yeah. So, so, you know, you're always kind of trying to get your, you know, have that impression made and, and, uh, in, in that way. And let's say that, you know, Blackish goes and they say, okay, cool. We have these files. We're meeting a bunch of staff writers. Um, and you go, okay, cool. I read the, I read the, uh, I read the pilot. I saw the pilot, I saw the cut pilot, and uh, I really loved it. I thought it was great. Maybe you knew the actor, maybe you knew Anthony Anderson, maybe you knew, you know, maybe you knew someone on the show that you knew, or you worked with someone, or you were a PA on another thing, but you got it in, and you have a meeting, and you have your spec, and Kenya or Larry or both of them together read your spec, and they yeah, it's great. That's how it goes. It's really fun. Right? And they meet you, and you go into that room, and you say, hey, you know, you and up against uh, you know tons of other writers and you have to kind of make your case like hey I really love the show this is what I can bring to it and in that meeting they're not just saying you know hey we figure because you're representative you know how to write or you know how to put together a sitcom in a certain way I think what they're looking for also is like can I spend 80 to 100 hours a week with this person or am I going to fucking kill them right <laughs> you know that's another part of it do you know when to pitch, when not to pitch, when to, how do you work with other people? Are you a person that's a naysayer? Are you a person that seems like they're going to be on their phone the entire time? Or, you know, just things like that. They're kind of saying it's, 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 a, it's a chemistry thing, too. So, yeah. you know, when you go into those meetings, if you're lucky enough to get one, uh, you know, work twice as hard to make sure you find the way in and you, you know, feel the room. You could talk about the show and what you like, but also things that you think that it could need, that you could bring specifically. You could sit there and criticize the show and say, I didn't think this worked or, you know, this, that, and the other or whatever. But, hey, I come from, you know, hey, I come from uh, a family that from this area, and I really know uh, where the um, – uh, I, I know where the character's kind of coming from. So I had a friend who worked for Mike and Molly in Chicago. He was the second big Chicago guy. He got that job. They were like, okay, cool. You know, Chicago back and forth. That was his kind of, uh, you know, his thing, sure. his, his thing. It's almost like in wall street when Gecko says to a Charlie Sheen's character, um, like, what can you do for me? You know, I can get anybody 
from anywhere, but what can you do for me specifically that makes you more valuable than the other guy with the same exact resume? And I think that's where, if you could speak something to it, like someone on our show, uh, one of our writers is friends with Chris Alea, who's the comic on the show, and that's Chris's voice. So he was able to get exposure and kind of get into, um, uh, you know, was able to have, uh, to get the job. Not, you know, like said, now that he knows Chris, Chris is comfortable with him, and, uh, you know, uh, that he was very, um, he knows his voice, Chris, he could write jokes for Chris that, uh, that, you know, make it easier on all of us. Sure. You know, that would help. So, you know, you, when you go into those staffing meetings, you're really trying to like impress upon him, um, you know, not only talk about the show, but show what you're like. Are you an introvert? And wow, is that going to be quiet? When I need jokes or on the floor, are you going to get swallowed up by when you have to go pitch to Chris Lee and he's like, Hey, I need something right there. And you, you turtle at that point. Are you a big, <laughs> you know, are you someone that will be great on the floor? Great. And you know, on stage, you know, there's certain guys who are great. Like if you're doing a multi-camera, they're great on stage. They're almost like directors and they can help work with that. Right. They're guys that are better in the room. They're more room guys or they're structure guys. There's guys who are just joke guys that aren't really structured, but they're really good at jokes. Right. So you kind of find out what they need and you try to like, you know, Taylor and, and, and just like any kind of interview process, you try to explain why they need you, like right. which guy and why is it, why not anybody? Why me? And it's gotta be that kind of a thing. So you gotta find your way in that way. And, um, you know, a, a, you know, a, a showrunner isn't looking to give you a job just to make, give you a break and be all awesome. It's like, he's looking to make his life easier. Yeah. It's a hard and possible job. Um, you know, I, I want, I want someone that I don't have to think about, you know, they go, hey, so and so, go do this, then it's being done. Right. You know, and I know what they can do. And just touching but, um, quickly on what you were saying about bringing something to the table to show that you can have that sort of impact. Um, yeah. A show like ER is not on the air anymore, but I'm just using it as an example. Right. Uh, like a medical yeah. show. If you're going in on a medical show, you don't have to be a doctor to, to be able to bring background experience to it. You know, sure. it, it was set in Chicago. You're from Chicago. That helps right. because it's set in Chicago. Right. There's inside jokes. There's things like it's every city in America has something about it, whether it's, you know, the fried ravioli right. in St. Louis and, and high school. I don't know if... if I was talking to somebody else in St. Louis. Everybody asks the first time you meet somebody, what high school did you go to in St. Louis? Right. Everybody asks that there's little things like that, that you yeah. don't realize being from a city, but when you go to another city, it's, it stands out and every city has something oh, like course. that. So things like that you can bring to it. You know, for, if it's a cop drum, you don't have to have been a cop or a lawyer to right. have some sort of inside knowledge that could help. But it's just like, right. I think what you're saying is right. find what that is and be able to, to illustrate that and right. show that off. Absolutely. I think that's the thing is if you were a lawyer or you had that kind of experience and you were able to do a legal show, you can go, look, man, I'm a lawyer. I did civil rights law right. for, you know, civil, civil rights law for the ACLU and I was in this thing and the show is about, you know, this, that, and the other, and it fits in there. And it's like, you'd be on a house of cards and you go, Hey, you know, that story where you're doing this, or you guys did this in the second season. I had an idea based on my experiences working for the ACLU. He'd go, oh, that showrunner is leaning forward in his chair. Right. You're bringing something he doesn't have that he can't do on his own. Right. So if it's a comedy and you're going, hey, look, uh, uh, I was a stand-up. I know jokes. Like, I might not be the structure guy that can go and, like, when you get torpedoed at a table from the studio with some kind of structure note, but I'm going to give you – I worked on late night, and I could give you 50 jokes in that area every time, you know? That's your value. Go, okay, cool. Right. 
just like in basketball. Hey, you're a three-point guy. You're a good defense guy. You know, hey, this guy's really good at just taking fouls and charges and getting rebounds, you know? Right. So you find your way any way you can. And, and uh, We always work our way back you know, to sports analogies, which is fun. Yeah, well, it's very <laughs> cool because it, it is team, and it's like you have, you know, Bill and Adam are the Kyrie and LeBron, and I'm, you know, I, I guess I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably built more like Anderson Vergeau, but, uh, <laughs> but the, um, and I'm hurt as often. But um, so, but like you have that kind of a thing where you have somebody that, um, you know, you, you can't have a you, you can't have a, um, a team full of of uh, everybody wanting the ball in a certain way. You want that right. kind of thing. It's like, you can't you know, have a bunch of Bill Lane beers stuff. or a Steve yeah, Kerr's exactly, you right. know. Exactly. It's like if you, had, if you had five Allen Iversons at the floor, it would be five, you know, one-on-one isolation plays every time. <laughs> yeah. And it's one, not going to work that way. One guy scoring, yeah. four guys standing around, not playing defense. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you have no Sean Marion hitting the boards or no yeah. – you know, uh, you know, Daniel Davis or, you know, there's no one out there. No one's going to be like Shane Battier or something. You need, you need the whole kind of, you know, elixir to be able to pull it together. And so like when you're taking a staffing meeting, it's just, you have that in mind. It's like, uh, when I worked on family tools, Bobby Bone is my friend. He actually got a great meeting at the very end of it. He just, he's such a funny guy because he's like from the South. He's very direct and, and very like sweet, but it comes across. Really. He goes, so uh, this was great. Uh, I guess, uh, are you weird? What's your deal? Like, are you <laughs> shitty in a room? Like, he just, it just came out. Usually you would be more tactful right, way right, of right. like, hey, what are you, what's it like for you? You try to find ways to see if someone's like, you know, it's his, his, indir- his kind of pretty direct way of saying, hey, you're not a shithead, are you? Because you, right. you kind of checked all the boxes on that. And, you know, am I going to regret, you know, being around you? Right. Or maybe allowed? What's your day? Right. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a big part of, uh, I think, like, that like, owners trying to kind of get the group together. Like, are you man hands or not? Yeah. Right? From, from right. Side, from perfect in every way, but has hands like a man. She's perfect in every way, but her hands are just big like a man. They're like a man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. My <God. laughs> so, it's exactly, that's, I mean, that's what it is. So, you know, and I think that, like, you know, one of the things you'd ask me, too, and is, is with specs. It's like... Um, you know, when I read a spec from a writer, I don't know if he really wrote it or she really wrote it or mm-hmm. how much, you know, if, if they were a staff writer on another show. Right. I knew it was rewritten by the room and sure. I don't know which jokes are yours. I don't know what your writer's draft look like. Like when I have to give you an outline, did you execute it that way? Or, you know, if it's a spec, you know, um, some people are really great at doing, you know, copying where they had a bunch of friends and helped them and they didn't do any of the jokes and you go, oh, this is an awesome spec even in the room. Like, where's the guy who wrote that spec? Well, it might have been a bunch of people. So, you know, it could, you never know. So it's like you want to know, um, you know, sometimes it's good to have specs in different arenas and, and that's what, what, what children are looking for in specs can change. So years ago, you, and your bottom line is you want it to stand out. So like, for years, everybody had a Simpson spec. Everyone had a Family Guy spec. Everyone had a Thirty Rock spec. At office, uh, curb your enthusiasm. All the specs on, on all those things. It's like eighty percent of your submissions are going to have that in there. Well, it's going to be hard to stand out in that because you just start getting snow blind to uh, any differences. You're like, okay, cool. I'm reading, you know, this, that, and the other. Wow, the jokes are funny here and here. It's harder to stand out. So sometimes people will go, all right, cool. I'm going to go back and do a modern version of Welcome Back, Cotter. And be like, okay, cool. I'm gonna write a welcome back Cotter spec. That sounds awesome. And you're like, what? But you're writing like the Sweat Hogs, but you're doing a modern, you know, like, and that that makes me as I have a pack of submissions on my desk and I'm yeah. reading, 
go, hey, I'm going to read that. You know, yeah. that gets me there, and oh, that took a big swing, and I like that. You know, you're rewarded for boldness and all that sure. stuff. Um, but that also might show that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You go, wow, that's, uh, I still don't know, but it, it yeah. might be worth a meeting. This guy's weird. Yeah. Oh, uh, this woman's nuts. So, um, you know, so a lot of times you want to have one of a show that's already on the air, a multi camera show. So you might want to write, like, you know, a, 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 you know, with Rich Big Bang, you have your big spec. So if a multi camera show is available, they could say, all right, cool, can you write multi camera? Uh, they read that spec. If it's a single camera show like Brooklyn Nine Nine or Modern Family, you have a Modern Family or a single camera spec that you go, okay, cool, it's a thirty rock spec, or it's a, you know, um, uh, you know, it's a Mary down FX or Always Sunny, yeah, that kind of a thing. So you have something like that in your arsenal, and then maybe an animated spec because there's so many animated shows. Archer is big, you know. Adult Swim has a ton of shows that are, you know, Robot Chicken, that kind of stuff that you do where you have animated stuff. Fox has a million animated shows, whether it's Bobby Burgers or, you know, that kind of thing. So having that where you could write those kind of jokes where you're not trying to do, uh, you, you know, animated stuff, the tone only you're not trying to land emotional moments as hard as you would on a, maybe a single camera. Multi-camera is about, you know, you saw a vibe, it's more of like theater-like, so can you write like that? So that way you're you're saying that like look I can do all the different forms in the same way that a musician might say look I could play scale I could play jazz I could play blues I could play rock whatever right. trying to show that you could have that that thing so if you have one spec write another and you know try to mix it up so if you're an unrepresented writer you're someone who is trying to get on something um, have a multitude of things so you could show different styles of the shows if you're sitting there. And you write five multi-camera specs, and it's one's Raymond, one's this, one's that, one's friends, whatever. Uh, you're probably if there's a single camera show, they might like your specs, but they're going to go, "Can you write single camera? Can you write, you know, it's a different genre? I mean, it's a mm. different form." So you want to make sure you have all those kind of things, and 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 you know, rightfully when you're submitting to the show that you want to get on, um, uh, or your management is, or whoever that may be that they're sending that spec to that person, what that showrunner is asking for. Right. So um, a lot of things in the pilot too, you want something that shows your original voice. So like if I was giving you on your own and I said, Hey, go uh, on your own. You're deciding you're creating a universe and you're, you're structuring it yourself and you're doing your jokes. Uh, I could see what your voice is like and how I can use that in my, in the, in the arsenal of my show, you know, sure. I would sit there and go, Oh, cool. I read this guy's this pilot. It was really weird. I thought it was really blue and raw and whatever, but the guy really knows structure. Or, wow, this guy's really funny, has great stuff, his character jokes. This person is great all around, whatever. Um, they see you kind of left your own devices. Can you do it yourself? Right. And uh, that becomes, you know, a huge thing. So a lot of times now they want to hear, they just want to read original stuff. Right. Um, they're not wanting you to read, you know, if you say that, like I said, you worked on last year on Blackish and you were a staff writer, you have a Blackish sample that you did that maybe was shot. A uh, showrunner sometimes won't necessarily want to read that because they know it's gone through the process and everyone's touched it. They still don't might not be able to get a good sense of you. Sometimes they'll ask to read your writer's draft right. of that show. Gotcha. You ask your old boss, hey, man, is it cool? Send them the writer's draft. And uh, they say yes, and you send that, and they see what you did with the outline, and they see you kind of closer to when it was your version of the show as opposed to the whole room getting out, their hands on it and right. running through that process. They'll see, like, wow. You really need, I think I actually like your writer's draft better than the final version that I saw on TV. So um, you were much more raw and you had made better choices than what uh, it came out on screen. Where they could say, wow, you really, uh, your writer's draft was horrible. Right. And you really need the whole room to get there. So, you know, there's different ways. Everyone, you're on display, you're being vetted. So, um, 
you know, be as bulletproof as you possibly can, I guess. So, um, but it's pretty, uh, it's, it takes a lot of work, but that's 90% of people haven't written shit or they write one thing and then their hands are up and they're like, I'm owed a job. It's like, right. you're going to get killed if you get that <laughs> Keep writing. Yeah. Because when you get into production, man, you know, last week I think I wrote four or five multi-camera scripts all together because I was running rooms and I was doing the same scenes over and over again. And yeah. seen, you know, we rewrote a script four or five times, like from scratch. Mm-hmm. So it's like writing five new scripts using a couple jokes here and stuff like that. But, but uh, you know, you got to show that you can hit consistently or that you fit. So um, otherwise, when you're getting in that, in that, uh, grinder i don't want dead weight you know yeah and tying back into what you had said about um you know the showrunner wanting to see the writer's voice and you can't do that necessarily in an episode that's been rewritten by the room and that kind of thing but also talking about writing a lot of material continually writing i get Uh get asked a lot what is voice how do they see voice you know what does that mean and I think, again, voice is your writing style. And if you are asking what sure. that is, it's probably because you haven't written enough. The more you yeah. write, the more you'll find your own groove and the own your own yeah. way of, of writing. And people can pick up on that. There's a consistency to, you know, again, it, it's not even as extreme as like an Aaron Sorkin, although his is an obvious example of, you know, his right. rapid fire staccato dialogue or Shane Black. Right. Everyone, they, they definitely have a style that's very distinct. But even other writers... Right. Um, have if, if they're professionals and they're working and they've done right. a lot of work they have a voice now it may not again yeah. it may not be as distinct as like a shane black and aaron sorkin uh, somebody right. like that but other writers can pick up on that they will see from script to script what that through line is that thread that that voice is and again yeah, if you're like, sure. if you're like what is the voice what is a voice how, how do i find that you just keep mm-hmm. writing it it'll, it'll come to you yeah, I think that's a good. I think that's a great, uh, great observation. I think that's really, hundred uh, um, percent. Uh, that's it. If you don't know what it is, then you're probably copying everybody. And it's like watching stand-ups. It's like it, it, you always hear that with stand-ups too. Like what's mm-hmm. his voice or whatever. And a lot of stand-ups are like, yeah, I was. You know, uh, I think you've heard Mark Maron's podcast a lot of times. He's talked about it. Like people go through a phase of whoever the you know go-to comic is. So it's like Dane Cook was really popular at the time. You can get a lot of guys yeah. magnetic and and act that way. If there's people that were, uh, Todd Berry, who's kind of a dry thing, you know, a lot of dry kind of guys like, uh, you know, when the alternative comedy was around in the nineties with Mr. Show and all that stuff, everybody was talking less about like set up punch and kind of like that. It was deconstructionist comedy. It was like, right. oh, okay, I'm going to talk about comedy. And that was the thing. And, you know, so everyone, you're finding your a comics voice. So like you go to the laugh factory, you go to, you know, uh, comedy store on a, on a Tuesday night or something like that. You're going to see a lot of people who you could say that guy's copying Bill Burr, that guy's copying Chris D'Elia, that guy's mm-hmm. copying so and so. And the more that they find that stuff, you know, oh, that guy's copying the quiet kind of thing, or this guy's a loud guy this way. Right. Um, that guy's a neurotic. He's doing David Tell. It's like everyone. You right. kind of get these kind of uh, stigmas that are associated with uh, um, you copying a voice. So, like, stand up is a is a great example of to run a parallel to like writing voice. So, if you sit there and you go, "Man, I love Quentin Tarantino movies." Right. I'm sure, like after Pulp Fiction and everything was breaking out, everybody was writing. And the movies that were getting made, you saw it. It was like whatever it was like Three Days in the Valley or whatever, right. you know, like eight heads or nine heads. You, know, you right. saw these things of like U-turn, okay, Oliver Stone's U-turn. Exactly, it's yeah. like Elmore Leonard kind of crime, with yeah. dark comedy and black comedy in it and stuff like that. So everybody started writing kind of in that style. 
you can kind of see that thing. You know, obviously there were Shane Black uh, mimics after Lethal Weapon and Predator and all that other stuff that everybody was like, their stage direction was really flourishy and funny. Sure. You know, there, there was jokes in the stage direction for the reader. Yeah. You know, there was ones where the stage direction was real dry and really clean and it was all in the dialogue and it read like a play and I was like, oh, okay, that's that guy's style. Or that's right. that. So it's probably a little less discernible in screenwriting than it is maybe in stand-up or, or in writing in general. But it's also the choices you make, like yeah. the choices you make in the story, the way you tell a story. Uh, are you interesting with time? Are you great with the way that you cut around it? Do you do, is it like, wow, it's starting at the end of the story in that classic form of like right. a, like a, it's a boulevard, like I'm showing or, or you know, like a, a Billy Wilder style of like, oh, okay, cool. There's a murder at the beginning. How did this happen? And you're kind of doing a Rashomon thing and you're piecing it together a certain way. Or it's like, do you, or is your thing, you know, like Neil Blomkamp, is, Blomkamp is like, is it kind of like in this modern realistic sci-fi that's not too far from the future? Right. It's just, it feels like maybe it's 20 to 50 years away. With some moral, with some you know, moral like, lesson in there. Yes, there's that kind of a thing you can kind of go back to. You go, okay, that's that guy's style. Are they like, are they, you know, is this Kevin Williamson who just like, you know, made his bones doing kind of young people and, and that kind of deconstructionist horror, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. deconstructionist slasher stuff. So with screening all that stuff, so I go, okay, cool. So you'll find that stuff within genre, which is unique within that genre. If you're writing something and go, wow, this really feels like an old John Carpenter movie uh, style, or this, this really feels like... Uh, um, and Aaron Sorkin kind of a thing. You're going, oh, okay, all right, well, I guess I like Aaron Sorkin and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you can find those things in the choices, too, the way you structured it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you did a multi-camera spec, a uh, pilot spec, and it had a cold open and a, and a tag and two acts, and it really felt like it was all in one place, it was about a family, you'd go, wow, that's really kind of harkens back to Phil Rosenthal and Everybody Loves Raymond, but it's very, the, the choices were to kind of a throwback style of very simplistic structure, but it's very much about the family within that. And you did like a modern version of a family where it's like, oh, there's a gay son and this person there and, that, and uh, you know, uh, and uh, the mom and the dad are divorced but still live together and whatever. You're making choices within that genre or within that kind of form. That speaks pretty loud to someone reading it, whether they're a potential boss or someone buying a spec from you at a studio or buying a spec from you, a feature spec from you at a crush company or studio. So, um, all those things are really kind of like, what's your truth and what's your, what, what, what do you know? I mean, um, I, if I sat there and tried to write from a young Asian woman's, uh, perspective, I'm probably going to miss wide, right. Cause that's just not my experience. Right. There'll be you too know, many sports big, references you know, in there. Right. Not, not, <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So to, to write that, I would need, you know, and that's what, you know, but, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, if I'm a young writer and that was my thing, I'm going to really try to go out of the box and do that stuff. Uh, the margin of error is probably a little wider um, right. because you're gonna, you know, you're you're not writing what you know, so to speak. So um, we just try, but um, it's the truth, you know. Yeah. So you know, if you try to sit there and emulate someone too hard, you go, oh shit, that's pretty, um, uh, pretty obviously this person is this that, and the other, you know. Right. Whereas like, wow, this person, when I meet you and say that stuff about your you and your divorced mom, that was pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, that came from my real life. Blah blah. blah. I'm like, wow. That's that's irrefutably specific voice there. You right. know, wow, the choices you made, the way you chose to do that thing. If you ended up writing something that was just goofy comedy that just was not connected to anything, um, you know, there's choices you made in that too. So it's a matter of kind of finding that, um, finding out what you do well and being really honest with yourself too, because you could be really, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> 
you might think you're great and you're not, or you might think you're a lot better or less or, you know, whatever. So, uh, it's, it's pretty humbling experience. If you're not, um, if you're not, uh, uh, if you're not taking good inventory of your own, your stuff and listening to people you trust and what their reactions are, right. it can get pretty, uh, pretty dark. <laughs> people, you're in for, you're in for a rough, uh, you could be in for a rough, um, uh, rude awakening when people are like, yeah, yeah, we don't like this. And you're like, what? <laughs> Put my heart on the page. Yeah. How dare you not like it? So. Yeah. I always go back to that article of, uh, why I will not read your fucking script. Um, yes, yes. You know, it's a great article. We've linked it on the site multiple times, but uh, maybe I'll link yeah, it right. too. Uh, because again, most people don't want criticism. They don't want to improve. Uh, they, they, they want you to praise them and they want you to, yeah. you know, help them they succeed. They don't want notes. Yeah, they don't want notes. They don't want notes. No. They don't want notes. They want praise. They say they want notes right. and they want, uh, they want, uh, they want praise. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you're, and also, um, if someone's getting a reaction to something you read, um, you, uh, you know, if someone's reading when they're giving you criticism and you want to go back at it, that's gross too, in a way that you go, okay, cool. How, cause the studio is going to, the, the, the buyers to be are you're, you're going to get notes. You're going to get criticism from the people who are paying you. And unless you want to send that money back, right. uh, you're going to have to make, you know, it's not Ayn Rand. It's like, you're going to have to, <laughs> you're going to have to do what they say of some version. So how do you make it a palatable version? If you're sitting there and they're going, Hey, can we make this about an African American cop? I know you did it about a young, uh, uh, single mom and, uh, you know, with three kids in the suburbs, but can we make it this? And you're like, no, you better be able to defend it in a very, you know, cogent kind of uh, way of being able to be very clear. So if someone sits there, and the worst kind of notes to get from someone, and uh, this might be a little bit of a tangent, is ones where they're like, I would do this and I would do that. That's like the worst. Don't say that. This is what I did. Mm-hmm. Help me make the choices I did better, you know, because that's like, I'm not doing your version of it, you know. The best notes from a friend would be like, hey, I think you were trying to go for this. I think it might be more effective. Uh, if it was like that, if, if there was something like that, and I think you were going for that. I think this is a better way of doing that. I didn't understand this, you know, as opposed to, Hey, instead of this guy, why didn't you say this? Like, well, that's what you did. You like that in your respect. Right. This is what I'm doing in mine. So, uh, you know, you're going to get those kind of notes and how you kind of deal with that and how you implement that and, and do that. I think that that's going to be, uh, that could be uh growth as well, but it also could be, um, super frustrating, uh, uh, to get someone to uh, ask you to read something, you spend time, and then you're just like, okay, cool. You just wanted me to tell you that it's awesome, but it's not. Right. Or I didn't feel that way. This is feels like I spent a lot of my time making you feel good. <laughs> right. I, I, and not that I don't want to make people feel good, but uh, <laughs> uh, come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's a business. It's not. Yeah, exactly. You know. Right. Right. Um, uh, well, we talked about uh, covered a lot of grounds today. We covered staffing season. I think so. Got it. Yeah, so I we, hope it was important. No, it's great. We covered ratings, which I think is helpful too. Um, we talked about Undateable, which people should watch Tuesday, March seventeenth, right, right after The Voice, which is hopefully after yeah. this podcast. Um, yeah. So definitely watch uh, Undateable. And talking about voices, you know, Ron Funches is such a funny stand-up comic. Is there going to be a bunch of <laughs> yeah. Ron Funches type stand-up comedians coming after that? Because that's there is a lot. He's I mean, so unique. He's so unique because of. He, I mean, he's a whole experience. If you yeah. Seen him. You know, he's uh, he he looks like no one. He speaks like no one, right. and his material is like no one else's. 
and uh, he is uh, he's a force of nature and just wonderful in his own way. And it's, it's so funny like, to have Ron. Uh, if people don't know Ron Funches. Look up S U N C H E S. Look at Ron's stuff. He's got a he's got a special Sterile. coming out soon. He's done some other stuff. He's won tons of like praise and like things of being the best, one of the best stand-ups in America and all that other stuff. And he is unlike anyone that you've seen. Like, yeah. you know, you saw him that night and or you yeah. have someone like Chris D'Elia, who's very animated and is physical. Ron is very low key, yeah. quiet and just paces like a tiger and just kind of just nails these things. And you're like, Holy shit. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's definitely more, uh, um, it's very unique. And then you have Chris, who's this big, you know, kind of wild animated dude. Um, but, Ron is uh, Ron would be a tough guy to emulate because yeah. that's really Ron. I mean, that's a guy who knows his voice and what he does. That's Ron, you know. Whereas uh, you know, uh, Chris is just a big wild dude. He he, you know, he's difficult to emulate too because he's just physically as a, as a physical comic, he's just like Jim Carrey in the sense that he's so bendable and and physically funny that not everybody can go and do that stuff that he does and pull it off, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, as opposed I, to like someone like Jim Gaffigan, who's a, like one of the funniest dudes in the world, he's probably more copyable because you could sit there and take that style of genre stuff, but the way they deliver their jokes, those two guys specifically are very difficult to uh, emulate and yeah. uh, pull off well. I think I saw Ron first a long time ago on like Conan or something. Uh-huh. And then when I first saw yeah, him, Deadpool, I'm like, was, that's yeah. the guy from Conan. Cause me and my wife, yeah, right. was so funny. I think it was Conan or Ellen or, yeah. or, you know, Jimmy. Yeah. Fallon, somebody. Like, like, he's, yeah, for he's sure. Hysterical. He's been on, uh, he's a favorite of a lot of, he's a comics comic, but he's also really accessible too. It's, it's like, uh, he's, he's, you know, blown up and doing some, uh, he's unreal, like unreal popularity. It's like, he's starting to, uh, you know, it went from being kind of like, oh, that's a comics comic to someone that's becoming a people's comic just by exposure and stuff. You just see that. It's just gradual over time and, and uh, couldn't be a better guy. It was his birthday yesterday, so oh. I would, uh, he's the best and I love that guy. He's just, and the sweetest guy you would ever meet, you could ever meet and just, just generous and sweet and it's just like, you know, it would be ironic if a guy who's that nice and comes across so sweet and likable on stage is a dick and he's just not that right. guy. He's exactly who you see. He's just yeah. super honest, super sincere. Well, that's cool. And, uh, one of the most brilliant comedy minds, like just absolutely crazy great. So, well, speaking um, of not necessarily a dick, but somebody who's not, who seems to come across as somebody different than his character, like Chris D'Elia uh-huh. seems like he's kind of Danny. He just seems like they're, they're sort of, you know, similar in yeah, terms of yeah, their, you know, yeah, their yeah. sense of humor their But like Brett, and Justin seems yeah, very Morin. different. Brent Morin seems yeah. to have more of an edge to him than Justin, who's very straight laced and oh yeah, you know. So they seem yeah. very different. So that's kind of interesting. He's not a dick. Sure. He, he mean, didn't come across as a dick. No, no, or anything, no, no. But, Brent, yeah. Brent, no, yeah. That, I mean, Danny, the Danny character that Chris Lee plays is a self. His growth in the series is a, he's a self centered dude who would never have a long term relationship because uh, he's like a cheetah. He's all personality in front. There's no, it's all civil, no state kind of a thing. He wants the stake. you know, that's his thing. He wants to be that guy, but he can't, you know, he just can't get there because he can't get out of his own way, but he's learning with the help of his friends and stuff like that. That this is what he kind of wants. And, um, Chris in real life is the nicest guy, funniest shit, nonstop, you know, nonstop working. Like this guy works so hard on what he does. He's out every night performing 
He'll be doing the Justin Bieber roast at the end of this month, mm-hmm. and uh, which I hope uh, I know he's going to kill on that, and it just gets him more and more into the stratosphere. He is like he's a version of Danny. I mean, we make Danny pretty dumb, <laughs> kind of like a little bit of a Fonzie, kind of like right. in that sense, like he can do, do some stuff. We definitely there's times where the network's like, yeah, I don't think he's that dumb, but but Chris enjoys it and he plays it so well. Right. But yeah, he's definitely like you know, Chris is a ladies man. He likes ladies love Chris, and he definitely the likes his wardrobe. That's how he looks. You know, it's a lot of that kind of a thing. There's a lot probably closer to Danny's closer to Chris than definitely uh, Brent Moore and the other lead is to the Justin character who plays kind of a buttoned up theater camp nerd kind of a guy, more right. of the Felix to the Oscar. Um, Brent is re- in real life is again, what these guys, uh, there's not a person on the show in the cast, especially who's not uh, great. It's just the sweetest, most kind, awesome people. So there's no like secret things here where I'm going to say like, yeah, that guy's really a dick on they're not. They're really great. Um, Brent is a kid from, uh, he's from the East Coast, like Connecticut, Boston area. And he's got that kind of vibe. If you see him in rehearsal, he's got a backwards, you know, um, backwards Boston hat. And you go, God, he looks like someone from Goodwill Hunting, like a South kid. That, right. That's the way he talks. That's the way he is. He's very much like a Bill Burr type guy. And his stand-up is very, uh, is very much more uh, raw and, and great. It's more, you know, it's, it's, he's a brilliant stand-up too. It's some of the one of the most hilarious. He's one of the most one of my favorite bits I've ever heard a comic do. Uh, is a bit of him putting his foot in his mouth that is so well written and so well performed, and it kills me every time. He's done it on Conan, so if you can look it up, it's, uh, it's Brett Warren's uh, on Conan. He does it, and it's uh, about him just striking out with a girl, and he just keeps making rounds, goes back around and around, <laughs> and each time he strikes out, it gets more absurd. But he does this whole thing, and he, in real life, I think the thing that makes close to Justin is that Justin in the show, we write him to be a guy that goes down rabbit holes. He goes into fantasies, and he act, he talks them out. Like, maybe one day I'll do this. Maybe she says this. Maybe that. He speculates. He gets, he projects. And Brent does that in his real life. He kind of, like, makes himself neurotic in his own way by uh, kind of thinking himself into a corner. So we've kind of taken that for his personality, but in real life, that's not his clothes. He's not a guy that looks like, you know, a gap mannequin and, and uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's more of a, he's more like Chris is. He's very much like that. He's, he's definitely stretched more to play Justin than he is. So, um, but if you see him as a stand-up, you go, what? That's crazy. You know, it's not quite as extreme as Bob Saget, you know, from right. House, Bob Saget is a stand-up where you're like, oh my God, this guy said more F-bombs right. in the last 20 seconds than they're, you know, than, than humanly possible. Brent's definitely like Justin in a certain way, but uh, we definitely like him more uh, nerdy, like more buttoned up and, and, and nerdier than uh, than he is in real life. He's definitely more of a, you know, a single dude that's, you know, East Coast and got that edge and stuff like that. So uh, totally, it's pretty wild. Totally reminds me of Dave Foley from News Radio. Oh, that's it. He would love to hear that. Yeah. He loves he loves that. He's very physical as well. He's great. He loves he he did he's really good at pratfalls. He did a pratfalls one thing that I was like, this is gonna look stupid. I'm you know sometimes <laughs> they look just big. I'm like, all right, guys, we're gonna have to rewrite this thing because I don't think it's gonna work because it has a fall in it. And I'm like, ah, it's just gonna look silly. It's like gonna look like Home Alone, you know? Like you know, you're already in a broad tone when you're in a multi-cam as it is, and then you're gonna add, uh, uh, you know, you're gonna add um, a big pratfall in it. Are we totally going off the rails here? You know, you have to have those kind of, you know conversations when you're kind of see it on the seat. Right. You know, no dude, seriously, I got it. And we're like, okay, we do this camera. Here we go. Let's hope this works. And it was unbelievable. I was like, he did it perfectly. And you're like, God damn, this guy's really gifted that way. So he would, and that's what Foley, you know, much Dave Foley yeah. in the hall. He's yeah. so physical and so funny. 
uh, he, I think that Brent would love that comparison, and that's a really good one. Yeah, no, I mean, and not only just in terms of their style of comedy, but they seem very different from. Yeah. Because I mean, in Dave Foley's character in News Radio was very straight laced. Oh and, yeah. So I mean, the comparisons are you know multi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. So. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And sure. they're both great That's shows. News Radio is fantastic. If anyone hasn't seen it, you should go back and watch News Radio. And you should watch oh, and Dave. So good. You should watch Yeah, oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Tuesdays after The Voice at 9. And um, and then we're, you know, uh, we'll be on. So watch it. If you're a Nielsen family, please watch it. Twice. And twice. Do they and, count that if they watch people, it twice? If a Nielsen family watches it I and they DVR so. it and then they watch it again? So. Oh, okay. I think so. Yeah, and if they say that they had a party and a bunch of people were there, that that you know, hey, twenty people watch it, it becomes like you know, I, it's a, it's a flawed system, but it doesn't mean we're not going to game it if we can't. Yeah, absolutely. Every <laughs> so there's a way uh, that's an, admit, an admission to gaming or a solicitation just for legal reasons, but um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, if you know, hey, I can encourage all I can, yeah. all I want. I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm saying that'd yeah, be nice. Yeah, if there's any Nielsen <laughs> families who happen to be listening and happen to be sure. watching and on yes. uh, Tuesday night, and then happen to watch it again at a party, then hey, you know, yeah, we right. would love that. We would love right. that. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, thanks for coming on again, Frank. Hey, buddy. Always, man. Thank you so much. 